What's up, witches? It's Claudia here, and I have some exciting news. Finally, we have created a Patreon. So you can find us at patreon.com forward slash true crime coffin pot. At the moment, there is only one tier. It's the familiar tier, and it's just where you can chuck us a quid just to help keep us going every month. We aim to expand on this and create new tiers and exciting content. But for now, if you'd like to support us in this way, please do go ahead. That's patreon.com forward slash true crime coffin pod. Enjoy the episode, guys. What's up, witches? Hi, I'm Claudia. And I'm Charlie. And welcome to True Crime Coven. Hi there, Charlie. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, So first of all, before I introduce you properly, I just want to say to everyone, Happy Halloween and a blessed Sam Hain. However you celebrate this year, well, we'll be coming out on Halloween with this episode, which is a bit exciting. And just however you celebrate this year, you know, whatever your beliefs are, I hope you have an amazing night. Or be it that Halloween is on a Monday, I hope that you had an amazing weekend. Uh, and that your heads aren't too sore afterwards. (laughs) So today, I am joined by Charlie from Weird Bristol. I'm going to let him tell you a little bit about what Weird Bristol is. Uh, Hello, I am Charlie Revel-Smith, and for the past uh, just over five years, I've done a Twitter account and our Twitter feed and an Instagram account with daily um, factoid pieces of information about the pieces of Bristol history that maybe not everyone is aware of. And it started out as a hobby and I've managed to get a couple of books out of it from from just talking about spooky, weird bits of Bristol. I mean, I can see I can see why, because I don't think I realised just quite how weird Bristol was until I stumbled across your account, which I have to say thank you for, because I came across your account when I was researching for episode 38, uh, which was the Bristol Ghost Stories with Emma from Real Life Ghost Stories. And it was where I learned all about the highwayman, uh, Jenkins Prothero. I'm probably saying it wrong. And so I was so thankful. An unusual name. Yeah, well, weirdly, the other day, um, I was trying to get rid of a gig ticket that I could no longer go to. And um, I put it up on Twitter just saying, if anyone wants this, you know, it's free. Someone go to it. And the person who reached out, I won't, you know, completely dox them, but they had the same last name. And I was like... There's no way you're uh, an an like you know your ancestor. And he was like, I had to look that up, but considering I'm like very tall, I don't think so. <laughs> but I was like, oh, Bristol and Prothero. The other thing with um, Jenkins Prothero is that you also kind of have to remember that the entire story might not be true. Oh really? <laughs> it, could be, it could be a com- it could be a complete fabrication in, or a kind of like piece of folklore or yeah. something like that. As in he might not have existed or the the Jenkins Prothero of the story might not have existed. Uh, he could have just been he could have been just your regular everyday highwayman rather than someone posing as a child. Yeah. To, um, and also I think we all forget that I mean I know people weren't that much smaller, but they were smaller then. So we think of someone under four foot or four eleven as really tiny. But actually, it's not as... It's still tiny, but it's not as tiny. I remember there's a historian friend of mine said that if you were even going to go back, say, uh, 60 years, or maybe 
maybe a bit more than that, mm. 75 years, let's say, the two things that someone from now would most would notice most of all would be that everyone is shorter and everybody smells of cigarette smoke. Yeah, I can imagine. It would be the both. two like universal things that you would immediately be struck by when you were when you arrived back well, in. It's weird because you know I used to, so I I used to date quite tall men, but I never saw them as tall because six foot is almost getting to be like not. It's not the average, but it's it's not as once upon a time six foot was very tall, and now it's much more. You know, you have to be pushing six foot four or five to be considered very tall now. Whereas like six foot two, it's like, oh, you're tall. You're not that tall though. You're not like ridiculously tall. You know, it's not something that's that's remarkable in any way. No, I'm sure they still get all the jokes about how the weather is up there and that, but. <laughs> But it's definitely not like staring at them in the street, unable to find clothes tall anymore. I was very thankful for your account. And then I was like, this is an amazing account. I have to follow it because this can be so many resources for us. Well, it's sort of, I kind of had the experience, but the other way around. I was down in Cornwall and I was basically, the weather was really horrible and I was trying to get my 10,000 steps up. (laughs) So I was going for kind of like little walks along the um the coast path yeah looked up you know my usual you know list of podcasts i regularly listen to and you came up as like a um suggestion ah so i started listening to that and i was like oh this is very good actually i was i think i'll write about this on uh weird bristol so it all just kind of came together that way oh thank you well you know that was the other thing i was going to thank you for was for shouting us out because um you know we're a relatively new we've been going we started january 10th so we're you know 10 months old almost 11 and you know we're an independent podcast as we'll as i've spoken about a few times and so any sort of shout out is amazing and especially from someone like yourself who has a considerable amount of followers really does mean a lot and you're very welcome um and it's great to have you on i'm very very thankful i'm very pleased to be here (laughs) i'm sure we're gonna have a great time as well because it is ghost story week which is always the the more fun one because i i don't really feel like we can say that murder's fun and i never want to have fun with murder what we can we can at least say about this one is that my uh kind of a halloween story Mm. is a two-for-one story because we've got a murder and a ghost story as well Exactly. It's a little Halloween treat. Yes. (laughs) If we can call murder a treat, but you know, you know what what we're getting at. (laughs) So I was thinking format-wise today, um, we could do what we commonly do, a sandwich. So (laughs) I was thinking we could do a weird Bristol sandwich. So I tell some ghost story bread, and then you tell your, your weird Bristol filling, and then I end with some more ghost story bread. Fantastic. That sandwich sounds very appetising. We love a sandwich here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, that's brilliant then. I've got some... I've got a bit of a theme with mine. Um, So basically, I've just worked a stupid amount of shifts in a row, and that has ended with me somehow accumulating some hospital ghost stories. So that's sort of my theme. So it's almost going to be like a hospital, weird Bristol ghost stories sandwich this week, which is very (laughs) appetising. So I will start with two ghost stories as told by a colleague of mine called Abby, who's also a nurse. Uh, She told me them last night and she said she was more than happy for me to repeat them on the podcast. So thank you, Abby. 
and uh, here we go. I have two ghost stories for you. Now, these are stories that have been told to me in hospitals I've worked in, and so perhaps aren't credible to some, but they're definitely interesting and compelling if taken as gospel. The first occurred one day when a patient went into cardiac arrest in the hospital. As usual, the crash bell was pulled and all staff, upon hearing the alarm, dropped whatever they were doing to rush to its source. The patient was unconscious and not breathing. As I said, they had gone into cardiac arrest. And so chest compressions were started to try and get them back. When this happens, a bleep will be put out to the appropriate doctors to attend the emergency. They too will then stop what they are doing and attend. And that's just what one doctor did on this occasion, rushing to help their colleagues and the patient. They turned up at the emergency, red in the face from hurrying. But as soon as they saw the patient lying on the bed, the colour soon drained from their face and they turned white as a sheet. It was as though they had seen a ghost. When asked what was wrong, they explained that they had just passed the man who was in cardiac arrest on the stairs. Everyone was confused, saying to the doctor they can't have done, that the patient had been arresting for some time before the doctor arrived and that there was no way they were walking around, never mind up or down some stairs. But the doctor insisted. They had just passed that patient, that exact man, on the stairs on the way to the emergency. So that's the first one. Yes, I like that. Yeah. Should we discuss now or do you want to discuss after the second one? Oh, no, let's have a... a, Okay, let's let's see if we can kind of compare and contrast our two stories. Okay. The second story Abby told me also occurred when another patient went into cardiac arrest in hospital. Thankfully, they got her back. And when she was alert enough, she asked the team around her where the doctor was who was guiding her through the process of CPR and explaining every step of the way to her, comforting her. She wanted to thank him for his kindness and tell him how much she appreciated having someone there to make her feel safe and to help her understand what was happening to her. The team looked puzzled. No one had been doing that. In an emergency like a cardiac arrest, it's all hands on deck. And whilst that patient is unconscious, no one is talking them through CPR. Everyone is focused on getting that patient back and on saving their life. And they told her as much, but she was insistent. Now. Of course, it isn't uncommon for patients to have some confusion after such an event, but this patient then went on to describe her kindly doctor. She said he was an older man with long, pointy white beard and round glasses. This took everyone by surprise. One member of staff got out their phone and scrolled to find a photo, showing it to the patient and asking, was this him? Yes, replied the woman. Yes, that's him. He was so kind, where is he? I want to thank him. Could you go and get him for me, please? But the thing was, they couldn't fetch that doctor because he had died a few years ago. So thank you, first of all, Abby, for those stories. And as she said, take them as you will. You know, they've been through the grapevine. and But I, I personally love these stories and I think they're possible. I don't think they're out of the realm of possibility, probably because I believe in ghosts. But um... <laughs> There is also the other... Uh, possibility that I I know when I was in hospital for you know, it was for a month earlier this this year I was having because of medication that I was on because of uh, issues with my brain and things like that I was hallucinating and imagining some things which mm. I know definitely didn't happen they felt very vivid for me at the time incredibly vivid yeah 
but I know that it couldn't possibly have uh, happened. So that is at least a, a possible explanation. Of course, yeah. But that also doesn't explain how she would know what this doctor, who presumably she had not met before, if she was just if she was just hallucinating somebody by, you know, randomly. Yeah. There is no reason why that would then look like somebody who she went on to recognise in a photograph. Yeah, I mean, I suppose sceptics would say, like, oh, you know, she... I don't know, I suppose sceptics would say maybe she had seen him somewhere, like in an article or on the hospital website. You know, you can find most um, consultants and doctors on hospital websites. You know, sceptics would say that, or that she was open to suggestion and all this. But I think that sounds like quite a an eccentric sort of doctor, you know, like a long pointy white beard. You don't get many doctors that are like that. Round glasses, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely imagining a certain face. And I just think as well, you know, if she'd woken up and gone, oh, you know, a doctor with brown hair, it's like, yeah, f- fill in the blank, you know, any doctor. But to describe someone so specific and then have that fit the description of someone who did work there and died... I will say my first response to Abby was, imagine dying and even in death you're at work. (laughs) It's like, oh, no, not again. Uh, That goes on forever, presumably. Yeah. Like, if he chose to be there, fair play to him. Like, he's not getting paid anymore, and I hope he realises that. But um, It sort of makes you, you want to have a kind of an explanation for the rules of a haunting. Yeah. Because... A lot of the time, you you would hear about ghosts being in, but you know, like I I think about here in Bristol at the uh, Bristol Old Vic, mm. it's supposedly haunted by the ghost of an. It actually has two ghosts there who are called Sarah. One of them is Sarah McCready, who was a previous uh, manager of the of the theatre, and their oh. one was called Sarah Siddons, mm-hmm. I think her, her name was, and she was a well known actor of the Georgian era mm. and she not only haunts supposedly haunts the Bristol World Vic but there are about half a dozen other locations that she goes to and she, oh, she hangs out she gets around like a trail as well so she's obviously got a very busy uh, afterlife over yeah she's social <laughs> but it makes you um it makes you wonder how her kind of um hectic social schedule what the rules are yeah because you kind of one it's almost like do you get more privileges as you go along do you have to earn your stripes <laughs> i think like Anne Boleyn, she's got plenty of places that she goes and haunts hasn't she yeah and it's weird because i often do think that my you know i i, I don't always know what i believe in terms of ghosts like i believe in them but i don't always know what i believe in terms of why and what but I often think it's all mostly residual. Like, that's why ghosts walk through walls, because it's a residual thing, the wall isn't there to them. Or there's a lot of emotion in a place, it's, you know, where someone was murdered or where someone had a really horrible time or a really great time, and that's why they stay there. Or, you know, especially if they haunt a house that they lived in and, you know, brought their family up in. It's There's so much attached to that that it's a residual thing or they're attached to it. But when it's someone like work, okay, maybe work was his life. Maybe that's why. It's sort of like where your uh, your passion lies. That's yeah. What, you know, the, it would be nice to think that you could just sort of drop in and out of places. You can just check in and see what. 
Yeah, and I suppose you would have to be quite passionate about work to not only be haunting there, but to then also be talking someone through what's going on. Because, I mean, he could have just stood there and been like, uh, yes, I've done this a few times. You know, he could have just been narrating it and she was like, can you help me? You know, it sounds like he really must have loved what he did to sit there and talk her through it because he didn't have to. <laughs> yeah. In the um, the previous podcast I used to um, be part of, mm. uh, of the group of us, we were, um, I was kind of say broadly that we were a, a sceptical ghost podcast. But of the five of us, four of us, depending on the, the month generally, <laughs> I think that I was the one who was probably leaning most towards being the, the almost kind of agnostic about ghosts, where, where I was just like, I genuinely don't know. Yeah. I think that there is something going on, but beyond that, I wouldn't be able to tell you of course. that it's the departed soul of a person or or something. And it's so it the whole topic of ghosts is is kind of the more you start questioning things, the more questions come up around. Yeah. I've always said that I'm a believer, but I find my I almost find that most ghost hunting TV shows make me more of a skeptic about everything. Like, it was probably um, well a very well known British ghost hunting <laughs> TV show. You know the one I'm talking. That didn't do us any favors. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was sort of the one. Rather than turning me into a full blown believer, that's when I started kind of really, really having serious questions about something. I think the whole subject of ghosts was something that I'd always taken for granted of, like, of course, they're, they're real. And then I was like, I think we are being lied to on this show. Yeah, it was like, how eight seasons in are you still screaming at a whisper in your ear? At some point, that has to become mundane. And how is it that everything that's happening just so happens to be out of frame? And we can't ever hear the whisper or the taps or the, yeah... I think everyone uh, can fill in the blanks here, but we don't want to get sued because we can't afford to. Um, <laughs> but no, that's the thing. And I think as well in the previous story, you know, I'm going to assume that... Okay, so the woman in the second story, for example, like I said, it's very normal to be confused after a cardiac arrest or any sort of collapse. You know, you can just faint and be confused. You've you've had a loss of consciousness. Like, no one expects you to be 100%. But... And, you know, most people in hospital aren't 100%. That's why they're there. But in the second one, in the first one, rather, you would assume a doctor, whilst still a human, has to be of quite good health and mental health to be at work. Um, Of course, there is always the thing where you could say, you know, was the patient in question, again, like a white man with brown hair and did she pass a white man with brown hair? But we're also assuming that this patient perhaps was still in their own clothes, so that was an identifying factor. Perhaps they were distinct looking it's like specific or unique details if somebody is able to pick up on something like that you know just something like if someone has a peculiar haircut or something like yeah. that you know like i i'm gonna be a bit more recognizable with half pink half black hair then oh exactly a perfect <laughs> example of of that that might not necessarily be if i was going to just imagine kind of like creating the image of a person in my yeah. head. I, the first thing that I assumed wouldn't be black and pink hair. Exactly. Yeah. That's something that I think is, it's where we 
where we haven't got this from the primary source, that's where you obviously lose a little bit of the details that could really clinch it for us. Obviously, I'm still so thankful to Abby because I find it so interesting. But I think it's also the fact that the doctor went white as a sheep because I feel like you wouldn't also speak up because as a doctor, as a scientist, as a medical professional, you're not really meant to sit there and start talking about ghosts and superstitions, especially not in such a serious situation. And I feel like if they weren't sure, they wouldn't. I think that so much of your education training is about getting you to completely believe and wisely go your judgment on empirical evidence. It's all evidence-based. So when something kind of comes outside of that realm, it is just... I think quite a lot of people might choose to just be quiet about it rather than then because you do run the risk of actually perhaps being uh, like a, perhaps slightly delusional even or yeah. open to open susceptible to uh, to seeing things and yeah well it's like people in the air force you know have apparently been seeing ufo's for years but they're only starting to talk about it now because once upon a time you spoke about it, it was, you were a laughing stock. You were no longer taken seriously in a role where you really have to be taken seriously. And you have to have good mental health. You can't not because you're flying a plane. They're not going to let you fly a plane if they think you're not doing well. I think they're both really interesting. I think they're both not, you know, so fantastical that they couldn't have, they, that they can't possibly have happened. Again, I'm not saying that there's not a sceptical part that, you know, there's not a sceptical, logical explanation, but definitely compelling. So uh... That's always the, one of the best answers which I think I can give if someone does ask, do you believe in ghosts? It is, I don't know. I could go either way and I flip between them yeah. fairly regularly. I'm and definitely... Then, course, the, like, the follow-up question is, well, and then what is a ghost after... Yeah, exactly. I, I'm definitely a believer, but I will always look for the logical first. Um, and I also think that sometimes people don't quite understand, and I don't think I understood until I worked in a and e setting with patients with psychosis, just how compelling our brains can be sometimes and how easily someone with no history of mental health can quickly become psychotic if sleep gets disturbed and you have a huge life event but that's a whole other avenue (laughs) i remember seeing it was it was said somewhat in jest that we're all one head injury head injury away from becoming serial killers well and while i don't think that that's true it is sort of the um because it's a recurrence you see so often in Mm, uh, frontal lobe injuries childhood childhood head injury yeah i think that yeah you can put that down to it that you like that is a contributing factor but it's not it's it's not going to be true for no we're not saying no we're not saying everyone with a traumatic brain injury is a bad person and goes on to murder but there is a reason why it's challenging to work in traumatic brain injury units because a lot of the time people unfortunately and it's sad for them as well as the people looking after them and the people who love them You know, I have looked after people with traumatic brain injuries who sadly makes them very violent or makes them very volatile, which can even upset them at the same time. And that's why it it is so difficult. Yeah, but it's it's so powerful what happens to your brain when it kind of becomes detached from reality. Yeah, 
And it's more easily done than we think, I believe. And even just impossibly fantastical things become completely believable in you know in that that kind of a state. Yeah. So I think with both of those cases, it's first of all, I'd love to know a little bit. I know. If I if I can get her to um get any more information i will <laughs> yeah, but with um both of them they are just the sort of things that 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 kind of make you think of well if you're able to rule out okay such and such person they hadn't had any clear like head injury they weren't on any kind of like anything that could be mind altering yeah where is the explanation then and that's you know the uh the really intriguing bit for me yeah especially the second one with that photo <laughs> and then I believed you had a a story for us. I certainly do. And this one is, well, we're going back into the history of the fine city of Bristol. And this is the story about the Odeon Theatre Ghost. Which we've slightly covered, but not properly. Just for, I mean, everyone, if anyone's like, you've covered this, not properly. This, this, Charlie is a bit of an expert on Bristol, so... <laughs> And we're doing the uh, and also the unsolved murder of Robert Parrington Jackson, and so this is back in uh, 1946 on the 29th of May, and this was the Odeon Theatre, which is still standing today, and the manager was Robert Parrington Jackson, who was around about this time. He was. I believe seven weeks back from fighting in the Second World War in the Navy. And before that, he'd actually lived in Hollywood and he'd had a few small roles in these were but only kind of like background characters, extras and things like that in a few Hollywood films. I tried looking up to see specifically that he'd been in. I mm. uh, couldn't find anything, which could quite well be down to like if he was operating in Hollywood it could have been working under a like a screen name or something like mm. that of course yeah but anyway that's the the Odin cinema it still stands today in Broadmead mm-hmm. and on that night of the 29th of May uh, it was screening a uh, like a film adaptation of a Rudyard Kipling book The Light That Failed which is sort of I believe it might be kind of like a crime heist type I've never seen it, and to be honest, I've not heard of it out of the context of this uh, story. If if it is a crime one, that's slightly ironic. Yes, well, it comes <laughs> into play uh, later on as uh, well. Okay. So at some point in the evening, there was the manager who went by the nickname Jacko, and this is Robert Parrington Jackson, mm-hmm. uh, returned to his office to retrieve money from the safe that was kept in there. And just before this time, he'd been chatting with a few people in the uh, the box office and the lobby that also had a small restaurant in there. Mm. And he seemed to be a very good spirit, didn't seem to be concerned about anything that was going on. Then, after he retired to his office to do this money transfer, a certain scene in the film happens. And remember, that these cinemas were absolutely enormous at the time, because they weren't multiplexes, you would just have a single screen that would just be showing the same film on rotation. Oh, okay. Maybe with like um, you possibly have like a cheaper 
B-movie in there as well and something like a pate news film, mm. generally. So it packed out cinema for an evening show. It's the scene in the film where gunshots are fired, Robert Parrington Jackson gets shot in the head in his studio and it seems that whoever killed him did so to time it to muffle the sound of the gunshots with the film. Oh, okay. Which obviously immediately suggests that this is somebody who is inside, who is like a someone who works for the cinema, because yeah. first of all, that they know that this is around about the time that Jacko goes into his office to exchange the money, and also has seen this film enough time to be sufficiently knowledgeable of when the, these gunshots in the film come in. And also, what a coincidence that he was going to go into the office at that time, and that was going to be the time. Like, it makes you think that perhaps that this is just like his regular routine. That maybe he did this around about that time every evening. Yeah, and somebody took advantage of this knowledge. As soon as his body was discovered, and it's believed it probably wasn't that long after the incident happened. And remember, this is only a speculation that the killer timed it with the the film because there isn't an accurate moment of when the man died. It's just kind of assumed that that's why nobody heard gunshots. Because in the UK, we don't really hear gunshots often. Yeah, and... um, the film was stopped and somebody came out and asked if there was a doctor in the house, if anybody was able to uh, assist. I believe that there was somebody came forward and tried stopping him from bleeding out, essentially. He was rushed to the uh, BRI. Mm-hmm. Still standing? Uh, <laughs> yes, but died around about 20 to 4 in the morning. Okay, so they kept him alive for quite a while then? Yes, they did, considering that it was a gunshot wound to the head. Yeah. Quite, quite extraordinary. Um, very tragically, his wife was by his side and they had a newborn baby together. So very sad indeed. Yeah. Following days, as the police investigation opened up, they began began interviewing everybody from within the cinema that evening, as in members of staff, okay. to see who had seen what, who had seen anything suspicious. And it seems like, every, as far as I can see, everybody was quite forthcoming that uh, didn't act as if they had anything to to hide. Yeah. The only thing is that a couple of the people working there said that they saw a suspicious man in the uh, this small restaurant by the box office, and he was eating sardines on toast. He was aged about 30 to 35 in a shiny dark suit and appeared to be waiting for somebody, uh, whatever that means, I think. But there was... Another man seemed suspicious, who seemed suspicious at the scene, who was estimated to be about 25 years old. Mm. And it's said that this man looked tired and ill. But the other detail was he was wearing a shiny dark suit. Okay. Also, at the same time, there was the car park attendant for the Odeon Cinema noticed that there was a woman sitting in her car for a couple of hours and throughout that she was described as well-dressed but looked very flustered and stressed. Maybe she'd been stood up. (laughs) Possibly. She was was hoping for a nice night out at the cinema. Yeah. But as far as I can tell, none of these three people of 
suspicious people, mm. people of interest, were ever tracked down. Okay. But there was speculation at the time, and this is uh, quite reasonable, that the killer escaped from the office, uh, Jacko's office, by loosening a ceiling panel and crawling up into a kind of a, a crawl space above a um, an empty storeroom where he was then able to scramble out into uh, uh, the street and presumably escape. And one of the reasons why that seems to be quite reasonable is that there was a water butt, like a water tank nearby, and a gun was later on found stashed in there. And it's a Colt 45 pistol, which was the same one which they think that Jacko was shot by. Uh, Okay. So that seems quite a reasonable assumption. Mm, quite and stealthy. There was, one, there was one officer who was described, strangely enough, in both articles as young and slender. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway. I feel like a description we don't need of an officer. <laughs> I don't need to know what the officer looks like. <laughs> seems a little bit um, unnecessary. They might have just said hot, thin. Yeah, <laughs> dishy. <laughs> yes. So this young slender officer was able to to kind of crawl his way through this path, which they assumed that the killer had done over oh, okay. the storeroom, out of the window. Oh, is that why they mentioned that he was slim? Maybe. I guess though that they're saying that this was someone who was quite a slight build. It's just the way that I was reading. <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> quite funny. With modern eyes, it was like it's very strange. It would be very funny if they were like, yeah, this fat, ugly guy. <laughs> <laughs> So it seems highly likely that he was able to scramble out above this storeroom, mm-hmm. escape that way, after firing what seems to be a single bullet into poor Jacko's brain, mm. uh, not at close range. It seems to be probably from across the room. I suppose that's how he managed to survive for so long. How it wasn't immediate death, which is worse in some ways. Also at the crime scene, there was about £300 were stolen from the safe. The case went pretty much cold as soon as all of the uh, avenues were exhausted Mm. when they tried looking into so many uh, different facets of the case. And it sort of faded away until sometime in the 90s. Have yet to find a a specific year. But a long time, about 50 years, at least 45. Yeah. There was a small-time crook called Billy the Fish Fisher on his deathbed claimed that he was the killer of uh, Robert Parrington Jackson and that it basically it started out as being a basic common law garden robbery and it had gone wrong okay. at, the, uh, at the time and had obviously just escalated. However, that the whole idea of the deathbed confession, we've seen it quite a lot of times, but it kind of has been fabricated by people who were there the scene. I'm not saying that that's necessarily what mm. happened here. And also because we don't know that much about Billy Fisher to begin with, how truthful was he being? How much did he enjoy telling tall tales? Yeah. We don't know. Yeah, you don't know if he wanted to go out of a bit of a bang, literally no pun intended, but you, you don't know if he wanted to go out with this like story that he's like, oh yeah, and by the way I did this, and then it's like leaving behind a legacy, whatever legacy that you're leaving behind there. But yeah. Or you don't know if somebody who was uh, close to him at the mm. time, once he died, they then came up with this story because yeah. 
for attention, for money, for whatever reason. Yeah, he could have had debts and something like this. You sell a few stories and... Exactly, yes. And then this poor guy, Billy Fisher, you know, he is sort of cursed with this for all eternity, with people assuming that he uh, was responsible for this murder. So... Yeah. Uh, Weirder things have happened. So... Officially, the case is still open, even though some people do believe it to have been closed. (laughs) Now, the second interesting part of this story is that even though poor Jacko died at the scene, it seems like he may have not left because the Odeon is still reported to be one of the most haunted buildings in Bristol, and particularly Screen 3... Mm. and the corridor leading to Screen 3, which was situated round about where his office was in the original layout of the building. And it's quite unusual for ghosts that he takes two forms. I say he because I'm assuming that it is uh, Jacko. That he can either be a visible ghost dressed along the same kind of lines of what we know from photographs that he looks like, to yeah. be honest, he he seemed like the very generic, you're not going to be insulting to him anyway at all, just a very standard man, white man in his 30s, in yeah. the 1940s, in his, his full appearance. That, yeah. You know, he, was, um, he didn't have, like, any particularly distinguishing features. What we were saying with yeah. black and pink hair, there wasn't anything that was, like, distinctively that you would be able to say, yes, that's definitely him. Of course. So he appears as a ghost, a visible ghost, mm. but also it's been said that he is also can also become a violent poltergeist. Oh, that's quite odd, isn't now, it? Yes, and very much so. And among ghost investigators, there has been kind of like a split in opinion about this, whether a ghost could kind of change its sort of spectral form from a traditional phantom into a poltergeist. Yeah. Or if these are two completely separate ghosts. Yeah, I was always sort of, not of the opinion, but under the impression that, you know, a poltergeist was a poltergeist and a ghost was a ghost, and that's... I'd not heard of that happening before. No. That you can sort of... you A poltergeist could choose to become invisible or... or yeah, and... The other way around. I mean, I suppose it could just be he gets moody sometimes. He's a bit like, why am I fucking dead and why am I still at work? <laughs> And actually, strangely enough, this was a long time. This was back in my university days. I randomly met a chap, but he claims to have actually been attacked by this poltergeist in this corridor leading to uh, screen three. And also claims that there was some video footage of it, which I've not seen. Um, That's a shame. It'd be great to see it. I did meet up with John from Haunted and Hidden Bristol recently. Um, oh, yes, I've been on that tour, is that ah, Yes, so um, he, I, I did an interview with him, which will be released soon. But he was saying, he mentioned the Odeon, and he said how, you know, little sneak peek of the interview, he said how apparently some ushers won't go down there. Apparently they'll take your ticket from further up, and they don't go down there. They don't, they don't go down that corridor to screen three, and if they go in to, like, screen three for any reason, they don't go alone. The only time I have ever been to uh, Screen 3 was when me and a friend of mine, we uh, went there and I knew about the story ahead of time. So mm. we were kind of like, ooh, it's the haunted corridor. 
And for whatever reason, uh, we were actually going to see the film Monster House. <laughs> That's actually a good film, though, isn't it? I was going to say, I stand by that is a that is a good film. It's a kid's film, but it's a good film. There was genuinely a kind of eerie feeling about it. But yeah. it's always the case. Is it, is it because you know it's supposed to be haunted that you're feeling yeah. that way? And they also say there's... Well, apparently low-frequency sounds and high-frequency sounds can also cause, like, weird hallucinations and weird feelings. They talk about this a lot on the podcast Uncanny, where they have, like, sceptics come in and stuff. So it would be interesting to know if there is any sort of electrical reason, logical reason as to it. But I haven't been in the Odeon, but I do want to go. But I, I do wonder if, you know, I'd be able to slink off into Scream 3. <laughs> You just go and get a uh, a ticket for whatever film is on on screen three and do your own little mini investigation. <laughs> yeah. So he's been so that whole area, and then yeah, he, he often is in screen three, isn't he? Apparently so. I mean, there was a story once about him having like a favourite seat. That's what I had heard. Yes. And it can quite often be the case with. Um, theatre ghosts as well mm. they'll be like oh that's and i believe that there are some theatres actually have one it's like permanently reserved yeah so that whatever their resident ghost can watch performances but then i was told the whole place has had a complete refit oh. that's nothing in the inside is anything like it was. well no if it's gone from being one screen to however many then of course exactly <laughs> Because I'm doing a little um, kind of ghosty thing for Weird Bristol on well, on Monday, obviously. Um, or, or I should be saying it today, as it is <laughs> Halloween today. <laughs> Where can we check that out? Uh, oh, no, it's, just, it's basically just a big on Twitter and Instagram. It's going to uh. be ghost stories of Bristol. And one of them, it just made me think of one of them from um, the Clifton Suspension Bridge. Mm. And it was supposedly haunted by Isabel Kingdom Brunel. Apparently, he's there to inspect the safety of it. Okay. I mean, it's holding up well. He's doing a good job. Just to know, we've got a guardian of that bridge. Thank you for your service. At the same time, if he did spot something that was going on, I don't think that he would be able to do much to uh, remedy it. Yeah, it kind of, again, reminds me of the BBC TV show Ghosts. It's very much like... Say the exact episode when... um. Uh, Mike is home and it gets broken into. Yeah, and they're trying to tell him and it's like, if you can't communicate... I mean, you know what? I'm just going to say thank you for your service. So far, the bridge is holding up very well and I'm I'm going to completely say it's nothing to do with people who work on it and inspect it all the time and actually have those jobs and work very hard. It's thanks to him because I like to appease ghosts. <laughs> yeah, well, just for anyone as well who did want to obviously check out all the ghost stories on Monday, um, obviously the accounts are Weird Bristol. So go and check them out. (laughs) Well, to end, I have another hospital-related ghost story. And this one comes from Danny, who is a student nurse and a friend of mine. So thank you, Danny. In the last year, I've been seeing an increasing number of ghosts, and I don't know why. It's nothing crazy. I mainly see them in my car park, probably because I live in what used to be a prison, and it has an underground car park. These two things are sort of innately creepy in themselves. I always feel like I'm being watched when I'm in the car park. And then, out of the corner of my eye, I usually see a person-like shape. 
but when I turn my gaze to try and focus on it, it's always gone. This usually makes me feel shivery too. I'm not afraid of them because I don't get an uneasy feeling when I'm there and because I've seen this so many times now that it's just normal to me. However, I have seen a full-on ghost at work one time. It was about 2am on the ward I work on in my hospital and that night I was in a section where there are only side rooms and it's a female-only area. Now, it was a very rare time because we had a couple of empty beds, spooky, and I was in a room opposite an empty one. As I walked out of said room, I looked across and saw an old man standing in the dark doorway of the empty room, wearing a hospital gown. I turned around for a split second, and when I fully comprehended there was a man there, I looked back and he was gone. There was no way it could have been a wandering patient, as, like I said, I was in a female-only zone and I was blocking the hallway where he would have had to walk past me to get out again. And Danny ends his email with a question for us. He asks, Do you believe in bad ghosts, like the ones you see in horror films who possess people and stuff? So, firstly, thank you, Danny, and thank you for the stories. Thank you, Danny. So, to discuss the stories first. So, yeah, not to dox Danny and say where he lives, but um, I know where he lives. Like I said earlier, I think often places are haunted when there's been a huge emotion there, um, you know, residual hauntings. You know, where's a place that has so much emotion but a prison? You get extreme anger, extreme sadness. Sometimes you get love. You get all sorts. But also, I was looking into the area and it was open between 1820 and 1883. And apparently during that time, you know, it would have housed a lot of people who committed petty crimes to today's standards. You know, we're talking being in prison for stealing a loaf of bread sort of thing. And so I can understand why Danny wouldn't necessarily feel scared by these ghosts because a lot of them wouldn't be... And I'm not saying everyone who's in prison now is a bad person. There's a lot of people who are in prison for things they shouldn't be. But we're not talking about necessarily murderers for here. We could be speaking about someone who stole a loaf of bread to get by. Exactly. These are people who were victims of circumstance who hmm. had to resort to crime because they needed to eat. Yes. And what other options did you have in a in a society that didn't have it? There was no safety net. There was no welfare system. Yeah, you would, you know, and then this was an age where people were still starving to death. I looked into the history of this area, knowing where it is, and um, apparently there was a lot of malnourishment and a lot of death from that malnourishment within that prison. So, you know, I don't think it's going to be a sinister area, but I think it's going to be a very sad area, um, a very angry area, and probably filled with a lot of people who didn't, you know, aren't bad people, just... But sadly, that's where they ended up. Yeah, when I was asking, do we think that there are good ghosts, bad ghosts, I think, you know, to perhaps to simplify what he was saying, do you think that it'd be something like an evil entity along the, the ways of, like, talking about demons or something like that? Do I believe in demons? Is that what... The... That's kind of what I'm talking about. Is there something that's kind of like a spirit which is, like, inherently evil? Mm. I I don't know. I I do because I'm scared of them. So how can I be scared of something that I don't believe in? But oh, it's difficult. I don't know. I definitely believe that there are ghosts that are not good, but that's because I believe that ghosts are just dead humans. You would and... assume that the ghosts are as varied as 
all human. Yeah, if you're if you're a dickhead in life, you're probably a dickhead as a ghost. <laughs> I'll call a spade a spade, and I'll call a dickhead ghost a dickhead ghost. But I think demons, I don't know. I think a lot of the time, the only thing that doesn't quite clench it for me is that when we look at past possessions, a lot of the time I think we are seeing effects of epilepsy, for example, like Annalise Mikhail. I think there's a lot. there was a lot of mental health misunderstood. There was a lot of epilepsy misunderstood, a lot of maybe encephalitis. You know, a lot of things that medically we now understand that we didn't. In um, the late... 18th century yeah there was you know temple church in bristol there was a guy called george luskins who was exercised there and they had seven priests including one of them was john wesley who founded i did hear about this yeah the methodist church but by all accounts when you look into this guy who came this george luskins who came from yate he seems to have had this instance of epilepsy yeah that they were calling like a demonic possession and that's the thing. And then often you, they would starve these people and they would dehydrate them. And also when you've got epilepsy, you often need high flow oxygen. And when, you know, not to get too medical, but like, you know, you often need oxygen because your airways obstructed. You then become hypoxic afterwards, which is, you know, you've not got enough oxygen in your in your body. That can cause confusion. After an, a seizure, you can be postictal, which is where you're confused afterwards. And that can take hours, if not a day sometimes to subside and then obviously if you're dehydrated and you're starved you can get delirious just say you're diabetic and it's not diagnosed you can get delirious it's all these things where i think sometimes i look at past possessions per se and i think mm, i think this was a medical issue that we didn't understand this was just an undi you know something which actually really quite be might be something fairly mundane nowadays yeah like i always wonder if we had done bloods on them <laughs> Yeah, if we, we didn't have the medical knowledge back then, it was just mm. like, oh, this is someone who we can treat with such and such thing. Oh, this is somebody who is, you know, on the autistic spectrum. You know, when people go like, oh, if I could travel back in time, what would you do? You know what I found out? I would take bloods on possessed people and find out what was going on. <laughs> yeah, so do I believe in demons? Not sure, but they do scare me. Do I believe in bad spirits? Like bad entities? <sighs> Undecided. What about you? What do you think? Well, I think that it... The, first of all, I need to work out whether I believe in ghosts in general. <laughs> That's a good starting point. <laughs> but like you said, if, I, if I'm if i open to the idea of there you know, being ghosts, which I am, then I suppose that I am also up to the idea of there being bad ghosts. Yeah. Not every single one of them is going to be Casper, is it? No. It's going to have some baddies in there as well. It's definitely an interesting question. So thank you, Danny, for that. But um, And in the second one as well, I think it's entirely possible. I mean, I know some people will be like, oh, you just looked quickly and la, la, la. But I also feel like I've been in enough hospitals at night on my own in areas and I've never out of the corner of my eye seen someone. Not that I remember and I feel like I would remember. So to see someone you know people think of hospitals at night as really scary and i suppose in some ways they are but then you know you also get pretty used to them i do a lot of night shifts you get really used to them and i think danny probably wasn't scared in this situation why would he be he's in a ward that he's i know he's worked in for years and it would have been no different and it makes sense that this ghost could have been tied to that room because okay it's a female only area at that time but 
hospitals changed their, you know, I my ward got changed to a different ward after COVID. Well, during COVID, COVID's still going on anyway. You know, when I was working on the wards, I was on one ward and then we got changed to a, a different one. Hospitals move around all the time and they make female-only areas, then male areas. So there's nothing to say that couldn't have happened and that there can't be a man tied to that area. And I just don't see why he would have hallucinated a person there. I mean, okay, fair enough, you could also say it was a night and he's tired. You could also say that. But trust me, you're tired any time on shift. (laughs) Yes. But, yeah, those are all the stories we have today. But I think, to be fair, I think we've covered quite a lot. You've sort of brought quite a few along. And I hope it's been enough to uh, sort of, well, I suppose, whet your appetite because this will be coming out in the morning. So whet your appetite for the spooky day ahead. And if you celebrate Samhain, of course, this will start in the evening and go on to November 1st. Have you got any plans for Halloween at all? I will carve a pumpkin and... Of course. Nice and spooky around the house. I think that's that's my plan. Sounds like a good plan. I've got a um, party tomorrow night, which I'm very excited for. And then on Monday, having a little bonfire and I can't wait to open the door to trick-or-treaters because just warms my heart a little bit. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me today. It's been such a blast. Thank you for asking me. And um, we will be together again soon for an episode. We will leave the details a little bit of a mystery for now because I think it's going to take us a little while to put it together. But we, I, yeah, I think we'll we'll be able to create a really worthwhile episode, I think that'll be. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so as well. And so, like I said, if you are interested in Weird Bristol, which you absolutely should be, even if you've never been to Bristol, even if you're listening to this in America or wherever and you're like, Bristol, what is that, food? Weird Bristol on Twitter and Instagram, really worthwhile, really interesting. So definitely check it out. And other than that, guys, just happy Halloween. A blessed Sam Hain, and of course, stay spooky. Hey guys, if you have a ghost story or a case suggestion, please email us truecrimecovinpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at truecrimecovin or on Instagram and Facebook where we are at truecrimecovinpod. Also, it would mean the absolute world to us if you could rate us wherever you're listening to this right now, be it Spotify, Apple Music, or if you're on YouTube, give us a little thumbs up, click that bell, get notifications every time we post. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts from. Make these two witches smile. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, witches.